Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. If you look with me at Psalm 78, all the way down to verse 34. We got through verse 33 last week, seeing the first half of this chapter was the portion where the Israelites were complaining and murmuring about God brought them out to the wilderness to die. So it was better to have leek soup. They forgot they were slaves in bondage. Remember, everything that happened to Israel, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, happened for our example. So anytime we need some instructions, we can look at what they went through and we can learn from their mistakes. We don't have to make the mistake ourselves. But we kick off verse 34 with quite a big mistake. One of the things that this psalm rats on what they did good and what they did bad. And here we pick up, it says, in verse 34, it says, When God killed them, then they sought him, and they returned and searched diligently for God. And they remembered that God was their rock. The Most High God was their Redeemer. Verse 35, verse 36 says, But they deceived him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being compassionate, he forgave their iniquity, he did not destroy them, and often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all his wrath. And thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. He remembers we're just but a passing of breath. He says he is mindful that our frame is but dust. We're just flesh, not much to it. So the Lord didn't deal with Israel according to the fallops that they did, what they deserved. He dealt with them according to his great compassion. Remember when Daniel prayed? He said, oh, Lord, forgive us, but don't forgive us according to what we deserve. Otherwise, we wouldn't get any forgiveness. He says, forgive us according to your great compassion, because you're really compassionate. We need your compassion. Let's approach you on the only angle that's going to work. Because if they would have gone on their merit, they would have been in the mud. Forget it. It wouldn't have worked. If you read the book of Exodus, and by the way, the rest of this psalm, if you went to Sunday school when you were younger, you probably heard a lot of these stories about Moses and the frogs and Moses and the blood to the Nile, Moses and the different things that he led them through the wilderness and what happened. And The rest of this whole psalm, it's kind of the highlighted version of all of the book of Exodus and all of Leviticus. Okay, All the time when they spent in Israel... And then a little bit into Joshua, when Joshua finally, 40 years later, leads the children of Israel into the promised land. When they finally get to go, that's even included in this story. All the way up till when David, King David, that young boy will be made king. I'm only telling you this because for me to teach this in depth, we could be here till the Lord returns. Because every one of the stories that he highlights, Asaph is telling the story. Asaph is years and years after David. But he's only highlighting the period of time from they came out of Egypt, about 1400 B.C., all the way till about 1000 B.C. And when this is written, remember, this is written about 600 B.C. So this is written 400 years later. Asaph is writing about something that happened quite a long time before. But how many of the kids today could recall something that happened hundreds of years before in our history? 
I mean, they hate history. When you talk about how was history class? Oh, I don't listen. Why would I listen to that? You know, that's the most boring thing. There's a bunch of dead people. What am I going to learn from a bunch of dead people? They're dead. That's the general attitude of the youth today. What can we learn? And I grew up in a generation where we were taught, if you don't learn the history and the mistakes of those that preceded you, then you are destined to repeat their mistakes. That's the way history was presented to me. Did anyone else hear that saying similar to that when you were growing up? If you're not willing to learn from the past, the mistakes of the ones that went before us, then you're destined to make their mistakes because you didn't get to glean the wisdom and learn from it so you could pass on making the mistake. And by the way, I am not a big history buff when it comes to just secular history. But when it comes to biblical history, it's presented a little differently in the Bible. When the Bible tells us history, it tells us what happened, but then there's this cool part about the way the Bible describes it. It describes it from men's point of view down here, and then you get this other lens to look at it, the viewpoint of God above saying, this is what I see going on in their hearts. And see, most of the history classes I studied, they never said, this is what's going on in the hearts of Hitler or Stalin. I mean, they didn't teach that. They just said, this guy was a maniac. He killed all these people. He started a world war. This guy did that. And you need to know what date it started and when it ended. And I, I don't really connect to that. That to, to me is just information without any illumination. And see, the scripture brings illumination, lights up. Why did this all happen to Israel? Now, why did God actually have to kill some, remember in Leviticus, he had to actually slay some of the Israelites because it says they rose up to play and they became immoral. They drank the wine, they went in with the council of Balaam, Balak. He says, you can't actually curse God's people, even though the king tried to hire this prophet to curse the people of God. So you can't do that. But if you really want to get them in trouble, get them to break their rules that God has for them. Send in your women and tell them to join them in a feast to your false gods. Because what's the first commandment? I'm the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God and thou shalt have no other gods. So here's what you do. You just send in your really cute gals because these guys have been slaves for a long time. And you say, hey, we're having a party. We want you all to come. And, oh, by the way, it's going to be festivities and libations, and we're just going to have a good old time. And then once they're a little bit tipsy, hey, we want you to join in. We have this special little dance we do, and we want to teach it to you. And, and they don't tell them right away, this is the dance to our false god. This is what we do to worship Baal. This is what we do to worship him. As soon as they did that, the Lord, it says, smote them. That very day, 23,000 of the Israelites fell. They're breaking his commandment. And when the Lord did that, listen to what verse 34 says. This is Asaph. He says, you know when the Lord killed some of our own people because they didn't do right? Then they sought him. And they returned and searched diligently. Why does it take sometimes a really good spiritual wake-up call? This is a wake-up call to Israel. You guys, you're breaking the first commandment. God judges his people. Now, the Bible says in the New Testament, God only judges those, every son whom he receives, it says, he chastens or disciplines. Every one of us that are his children, if we get out of line, will God give us a spiritual wake-up call, straighten up? Yeah, sure, you guys know this. And it tells us why does he do that. 
every son he loves. He loves us so much, he will discipline us for our own good. If we get out of line, he has ways. He can use sickness. You know, sometimes we read in the scriptures, why did that person get sick? And you find out they were in sin. Now, it doesn't mean all sickness is caused because of sin, a direct sin of that person. It could be the sin of someone else, and that sickness has now spread to you. It could be a sickness in this society. And all of a sudden, you're living in that society, and that sickness spreads to you, and you're like, oh, great. This is living in a fallen world. But some sickness that we encounter is a direct result of our own sin. And in this case, the Bible tells us, be careful. The wages of sin is death. And why does the Lord have to kill some of us to get our attention? When I say kill, just think of figuratively. Sometimes he's got to like really get our attention. We're, we're all full of ourselves. We're doing our own thing. We're all gung-ho. And, and the Lord goes, oh, yeah, you think you're so hot stuff? Watch this. You know, he puts you in bed with a fever for a week. And, you know, you're throwing up and you're hating life. You don't even feel like you're alive. Have you ever been so sick you felt like you're dead? You're like, Lord, death would be better than how I feel laying in bed. Sometimes in those moments, we get real spiritual. Then it says, we do just what Israel did. They returned and they sought the Lord diligently. Oh, yeah. Now they're seeking the Lord when the wake-up call comes. But... How many times are we guilty of the same thing? One of the sisters that I started the collagen career group with many years ago, she called me just a couple weeks ago to tell me, you know, I was reading my Bible this morning and I realized I'm just like Israel. You know how she led into this was really beautiful. She said, you know, I was with my mother and her mother's a Christian, God-fearing woman. She was the mama to all of the students that were away from their parents that came from out of state. And so I'm listening to her and she says, and my mom, I was around her. And you know, sometimes she can be really stubborn. This is the daughter telling me this about her own mother. And I was sitting there thinking how stubborn my mom can be. When all of a sudden it hit me that I'm just like her and I'm just as stubborn and I shouldn't be like that. And then she opened her Bible and the Bible said, and Israel was stubborn and they were unrepentant and they wouldn't listen. And she goes, it was like God just went, gotcha. And she goes, I don't want to be like that anymore. It's really neat that that revelation came to her. Well, listen to the attitude of Israel. And you tell me, verse 35, they remember God was their rock, that the most high God was their redeemer. They remember that. But they deceived him with their mouth. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Inwardly, how was their heart towards the Lord? Inside. It says it was not steadfast. They just weren't set upon the Lord. Steadfast means, you know, your heart is set towards the Lord. You know, when your heart is towards the Lord, by the way, this is one of the best things you can have is a heart towards God. Because remember David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. And in the scriptures, we read in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord, they move to and fro round about the earth, looking for one, just one person whose heart is completely the Lord's, says, so that he might strongly support them. Anybody want God's strong support? I know I do. I mean, when the Lord is strongly supporting you, you're like, man, life is good. Here she is telling me how she's stubborn and I need to stop doing it. And the Lord's telling me, quit being like Israel. And I'm thinking, I don't know how to explain it, but I like better not being stubborn when it comes to things of the Lord. Not that I ever 
might have ever passed that way, but that was a long time ago, right? No, we still got to be careful that we don't lapse into being stubborn. Because when our heart is steadfast toward him, he can do marvelous things. Well, Israel is our example. Now, this is where history from the Bible is different than history from your history book in school. The Bible says their heart. I never read one history story that said what the heart of the person was like towards God. But the Bible tells me their heart was not steadfast towards God. And because their heart was not steadfast, they weren't faithful in his covenant. If they would have just followed his covenant, he made this special deal with them. I'll make a deal with you, he says. You follow me, I'll take care of you. I'll supply all you need. And you know, the covenant was, it's all skewed. It's all on God's shoulders. All they had to do was follow. But see, God knew their heart. And God, even knowing that they were off base, God still was compassionate. Look at verse 38. But he being compassionate forgave their iniquity. And he did not destroy them. And he often restrained his anger, it says, and did not arouse all of his wrath. And thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. Verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness, and they grieved him in the desert. Again and again they tempted God, and they pained the Holy One of Israel. And they did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt, and his marvels in the field of Zoan, and turned their rivers to blood, and their streams they could not drink. He sent them amongst the swarms of flies which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. He gave them also their crops to the grasshopper. Remember when he sent the locusts, or grasshopper we call, and went through the fields of Egypt and just devastated it. He says, and their product of their labor to the locusts, and he destroyed their vines with hailstones, and their sycamore trees with frost. Sycamore tree can't handle frost. He says, God took care of that. And do they remember? I mean, is this a big deal that God made it that cold in the desert to freeze out those trees? That he made the hailstones come and destroy all the vines in Egypt? He wiped out their vineyards. He destroyed their crops with just sending in swarms of locusts and grasshoppers just to eat it all up. He was trying to get Pharaoh to let go. And Pharaoh, after one of the plagues, is like, okay, you can go. And then, of course, they start to pack. Oh, I changed my mind. And then another plague. And then, okay, you back and forth. Until we're going to get to the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. It says, and he gave over their cattle also to hailstones and their herds to bolts of lightning. The Lord took out Pharaoh's strength. He took away his crops. He took away his herds. When you do that in this agricultural society, you're hitting them right in the money belt, so to speak. All the things they worship with all had to do with the things that grew from the land and lived on the animals on the land and all the things. And he just wiped them all out. He said, I'm God. And he sent upon them his burning anger, fury and indignation and trouble, a band of destroying angels. You remember the angel of death that he sent through for the Passover? Remember that they sent through Egypt? He says, he leveled a path for his anger, and he did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague. And he smote the firstborn in Egypt, the first issue of their virility in the tents of Ham. But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they did not fear, but the sea engulfed 
their enemies. Now we've been studying how he put that big pillar of fire by night and that pillar of cloud by day and said, just move when the pillar moves. When they first went, were leaving, the pillar got in between them and the Egyptians so they could get across on dry ground. And then the pillar moved after they were all the way to the other side and the Egyptians rushed into this dry seabed to chase them. And then the Lord let the sea return and swallow them up. The Israel danced on the seashore when they saw their enemy destroyed. I mean, you got to think about this. Would you be happy if the guys who had whipped you and beat you and made you make the bricks and stomp the straw and stand in the... You guys have seen the movie, right? They're stomping in the mud with the straw and making those bricks. And the, the poor little guys, they look all emaciated and starved. They're the workforce for Pharaoh's building project. They're doing all the work and they're getting leek soup. Yum. These guys got nothing, man, going there. I, I feel terrible for them. But when the Lord brings them safely to the other side, it says they got to see God's hand protect them. And they dance. They get to dance a jig for the first time. God took care of our enemies. They didn't fight for themselves. Remember, they weren't the ones that were fighting against Pharaoh. God fought. And he led them safely so that they would not fear. When the Lord leads you safely through this life, when your heart is on him and you let him take the lead, do you have to be afraid? What's it say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restored my soul. What does it go on to say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a pretty scary spot. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When you know the Lord is with you, your whole outlook of life is changed. You don't have to fear. Because we're walking with the Lord through this life. We're not on the journey alone. And here, he says, he led them safely. He led. How many of you can say, God is leading your life? You're letting him take the lead. See, because if you can do this, if you could just learn from these guys, when they did let God do the leading, they didn't have to be afraid. I think the only time we have to be afraid is when we try to take the lead ourselves. You know, when we try to do it on our own strength, then watch out. You should be afraid. Because sometimes we get ourselves in the muck of problems when we do that. But when we let God lead, fear goes away. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? We just follow the Lord and he leads away. It says he guided them out of the wilderness like a flock. Like they were his sheep. His people were his sheep. Come on, let's go. And you guys know that it's not like cattle where you drive them from behind and whip and and crack the whip and try to push them along. You don't do that with sheep. A shepherd and sheep is a different dynamic. A shepherd of sheep only has to go to the doorway of the pen and open the doorway and then call. Just like when you call your dog, you know, you're like, hey, come here, spot, come. And your dog comes running to you. Sheep, it says they know their shepherd's voice. And all you have to do is call them by name and they come right to the shepherd. And when the shepherd wants the sheep to go somewhere, you know what he does? He just turns around and starts walking away. And when they see his back going away, they just turn and they start walking after him. They just follow. And Jesus, when he taught to his disciples, he said, my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. 
they know my voice. And here, the Lord God, Asaph, writes that he was the shepherd to Israel. And all they had to do was follow the shepherd, and he would lead them safely so that they would not have to fear. And they got to see God fight against their enemies. Remember, the Bible says, vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, is how it's written. He says, and I will repay. The Lord will take care. Let the Lord take care of it. All I got to do is make sure my heart is steadfast on the Lord, and I listen to whose voice? I'm just a sheep. I just got to listen to the shepherd. Whatever you say, shepherd, I want to follow your lead. It's so much nicer when you just say, God, I want what you have for me. You lead. Do you think if you do that, God will punish you? If you say, God, you just show me what you have for me. You think he's going to just ruin your life? Take away all your fun? If you can hear this, remember Jesus always ended. Let those that have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. If you can hear this, all our job is to be sheep. We're just the sheep of his pasture. He's the shepherd. Just turn your ear to listen to the shepherd. Say, what do you want me to do, shepherd? I just got to follow your lead. The pastor said, if I follow your lead, I don't have to fear. You'll lead me and you'll be with me. But though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For thou art with me. That's really what we fear is evil. So Lord goes, just let me walk with you. And he's the good shepherd. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. of God.